Hello and welcome to the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Um, I cannot breathe. I am sweating out of every orifice that I have. I've downed a pint of, I think it's cherry flavoured water, but it tastes a bit like piss. And I'll be honest, I don't understand how we're at this point in September, Ian. It's fucked up, really, because it's not even actually that hot degree-wise, is it? It's just muggy as fuck and sweaty. And um, even with a fan blasting all night, like trying to sleep at the moment is a crippler. So um, I saw someone say, um, or they they compared on Twitter, it was, trying to sleep in the heat as it is at this moment in time is like trying to sleep in a McDonald's apple pie. Um, seems a bit of a shit analogy, but yeah, I I, I get the up. point. Have you ever had a McDonald's apple pie? Oh yeah, I mean you always have to leave them at least twenty minutes, and every single time, even after that, it's the same as a fucking pie. Leeds in particular. If you ever have a pie at a football match at Leeds, it's like fucking magma inside for the first <laughs> twenty minutes. You burn my mouth every single time. But um, yeah, Do you know the fucking... best way to avoid eating like really hot foods at football. If you bring a packet of ready salted crisps, that sounds like a really good idea. Like, I, that, I don't know where you'd, have, where you'd possibly come up with that idea from, but yeah, I, I absolutely cannot believe how it is. Um, it's supposed to be one of the hottest weekends of the year this Saturday, so we've got a, a barbecue and a couple of kegs of this, um, for this perfect draft that we got recently. And if I don't see you after this, uh, you'll know why it's because I've melted. It's officially the hottest year on record since records began. I saw earlier today on a little thing for those people that don't believe in uh, global warming and climate change and shit. But um, yeah, you know the Earth's I mean, flat as well. That is true. Yeah, uh, I did know that. <laughs> um, but I mean, like in September, this is ridiculous. But the thing, that, the thing that I find crazy is the night seems to be drawing in super quick. So like, it's half light now, and it's only what like twenty to twenty to eight. But oh, yeah. by eight o'clock, it's pretty much dark, but then it's still sweltering hot. But I'm sure people, our listeners, haven't tuned in to listen to two shit weathermen. So uh, let's move on. You say that, but uh, obviously we are jack of all trades. Um, let's start with UFC Paris then. So I'll be honest, straight off the bat, I haven't watched any of it. Uh, we chose this Saturday because obviously we do it for the love of our viewers to cover Two separate events each. They were both ongoing at the same time. You took UFC Paris. I took Eubank uh, Jr. versus Smith 2. So I'm going to leave the majority of this with yourself. I'll chime in, obviously offering my uh, expert opinion whenever I can, but I'll let you lead this in. It's pretty much the normal, isn't it? I talk about the UFC because you don't know <laughs> shit and you just occasionally make some nonsense point. But um, obviously the headliner, Cyril Garnet. Oh, Garn. Um, I will say Garnet, Garn. Uh, at before the fight, he was ranked number two in the division, subsequently gone up to number one, record of 11 and two versus uh, Spivak, who was ranked uh, seven. I thought a random little note, uh, I like Spivak's nickname, which is the polar bear. Uh, Garnet's uh, nickname is Bon Amin, uh, so obviously French. Now, I can't think of a shitter nickname so do you want to, uh, you'd never get it, but do I, I'll tell you the translation from French to English of Bonamin is Go on. a good person. Sounds like a lovely guy. What's wrong with that? 
hardest scary fucking nickname if you're a fucking 200 <laughs> 250 pound monster of a kickboxer is it the good person like imagine if that was actually in, in english daryl the good person smith you'd be like who's this pussy that i'm about to fight so it'd be I, spot I, on i mean it would because you're a pussy but um <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was a ridiculous nickname i had to google it and, and look it up um so this is obviously a heavy heavyweight fight uh possible title implications although even though Garnet looked pretty sensational it's very hard to sell him for a rematch against John Jones after the last absolute thrashing that he took uh, in the previous fight well this was going to be my questions here as I say I, I haven't watched it. I've seen the highlights and the, the finish is clearly extremely comprehensive and it's pretty much whatever he expected he's a, a very very good fighter and there's no dispute in that John Jones is clearly on a different level and Everyone is accepting of that. When John Jones wins his next fight, because he will at 295, I'm sure we both agree on that. Um, it's steep, isn't it? Uh, so when he wins that, we're certain between us that Pavlovich is, is almost certainly next. That would be the most likely thing if John Jones doesn't retire, of course. I don't think Aspinall gets that. So, and speaking of Aspinall, does that set up a European fight between Cyril Garn and Tom Aspinall? Logically, yes, I totally agree with that. That would make a, you know, could set that would definitely be a headliner, a, a good headliner if they were to do a, a a numbered event in England or even a fight night. Could hold up a card probably on its own. That um, they tend to now, um, uh, MMA was illegal in France for 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 a very long time. It's only become legalized in probably the last two or three years. And I think the UFC have made a, a bit of a habit of going back there at least once a year since, because there were a number of French fighters coming through the ranks. But um, yeah, I would agree with you. That would be a very logical next. If Pavlovich gets the winner, which I think he certainly deserves, that then would line up potentially the winner of that fight when Jones probably takes Pavlovich as well. If he doesn't retire, maybe the next contender. I did see there was quite a lot written and for the little bit that I tuned in, because in all honesty, I flicked over when uh, Maya was fighting on the uh, the Smith Eubank Jr. undercard because she's a very boring fighter. But um, when I flicked it over, the atmosphere seemed absolutely next level. And I, that's coming from, obviously, where we're British fans or English fans. Whenever there's uh, an event of, whether it's UFC, whether it's anything in terms of fighting, usually the atmosphere is out, absolutely incredible and is outstanding. The atmosphere on Saturday in Paris was unbelievable. I couldn't believe how good it was, like a football match. Next level. Oh, yeah, absolutely incredible, particularly for the French fighters um, when, when they fought that uh, were on there. They're chanting and there's funny bits where there's like chants and there's a couple of points where like Bisping uh, goes in commentary. Uh, have we got a translator? Can someone translate to like what, what they're saying? Uh, and then you hear someone speak and he's like, Right, okay, we can't say that on air. So, uh, <laughs> and then there was one bit where we'll come on to one of the the, the most popular French fighter after Garnet, a guy called Benoit Saint Denis, who looked very impressive. Um, the whole crowd is jumping and bouncing. You can almost feel the reverberations around the uh, from the TV. And again, they're chanting, and they go they go to their translator. And uh, the the chant they were chanting was uh, if uh, if you're not jumping you're not French apparently. <laughs> but um, I mean, quickly up, up back to the the Garn fight. I mean, first round he looked, came out very very confident, hands low, switching stances. Um, Spivak is obviously a, a ground fighter, 
very, very impressive Sambo background, but not good on his feet. Garn's just teeing off on him. Looked super fluid. Spivak just couldn't get going, couldn't manage the distance, couldn't get anywhere close to him to take him down. First round was an easy 10-9. Second round, Garn again striking very well. Massive knee against the cage in a body shot. Um, Pavlovich, uh, sorry, Spivak had his hands very high, which was exposing his body. And he was taking some ripping kicks and, and, and punches to his body which showed that, you know, he's an incredibly tough guy uh, and then got him tracked against the cage, just poured it on, just pounded him out for the TKO. Uh, very, very impressive from uh, Garn. Looked very good. But as I say, tough sell for me to, to get him a rematch uh, with John Jones. Well, I mean, we watched that. Oh, we tried to watch. I think we watched a little bit of it, didn't we? Um, woke up early morning when we went to Donny earlier Donny. in the year. And it, there's just... It's it's pulls apart. It's it's complete different level in terms of these heavyweights are very good, as we've already said. Aspinall, Pavlovich, and the jury's still out on Pavlovich in terms of whether he is the the JJ level. But I don't think anyone is quite up to that standard. And until John Jones retires, I think you've got a very similar situation as you do in some of the other divisions, such as a Volks division, where essentially you've got the champion who is far and above everyone else, and then you've got other people. And I think that's just how it's going to be, unfortunately, for the rest of them. Um, like I always say to you in life, there's levels to everything. And as you say, John Jones is just a different level at the moment to anyone in that division. Pavlovich would definitely be the closest in terms of, you know, having a potential uh, chance because, um, you know, Jones has never been tested a guy against that big in the same way with, with you know, when it was rumoured with Ngannou, uh, what would happen if, you know, uh, one of them land one of their power punches on Jones. He's traditionally got a, a pretty good chin. To be fair, he's taken some pretty big punches over the years from from people in, you know, Gustafsson when they uh, had their couple of fights at like heavyweight. So certainly got not a weak chin, but you've got to get close enough to be able to punch him uh, and, and land one of those. And we always say that he's got one of the highest fight high cues in the game. So he knows what's coming. If that's the type of caliber of person he's fighting, he's just a, a knockout artist. He's just going to, the moment you swing one of those punches, change levels, drop, bang, take you down. Once you're down on the world of John Jones, you're in a world of pain. Give me the rest of the card then. Any particular highlights? Um, co-main event weren't too great, really. So this was uh, Firo, um, a French uh, fighter, um, number t- t- uh, ranked two in her division against Rose um, Thug Rose Nakajamas going up uh, in weight. Firo is just too big and powerful, really. Um, I won't go through the the rounds on this one because it was a relatively straightforward win. I think it was 30-27 across all scorecards. Only thing that was a, a bit of an optic was there was a clash of heads uh, during the fight and it left Firo with a particularly bad gash on one side of her head. So she had blood pouring down one side of her face. Um, it wasn't bothering her. It wasn't going in the eyes or anything, but it looked horrendous because she was covered in blood from one side, but very easy win for her and she was just too big and strong, really, for, for Thug Rose. So she probably puts herself uh, in the title picture, you would have thought, uh, potentially, for the next fight at that weight, I would say. 
Um, third fight, quick one was um, Ozdemir versus uh, a, a guy called Goose Goosekoff, which I've never heard before. Nice little slugfest. This one, some big leg, big leg kicks to start from Ozdemir. Big shots, takes him down, hammer fists, and the other guy just rolls over, sinks in a rear naked choke for victory in round one over very quickly. Um, the one that I thought I'd give a bit more detail on, if I'm honest to say, was the seemed to be a, a big French name uh, rising through the ranks on a, a six-fight win streak in the UFC at lightweight, Benoit Saint-Denis uh, versus a guy called um, a Brazilian Moises. Um the, the French guy used to be in the French Foreign Legion, so that immediately tells you what a fucking hard motherfucker he is uh, and, and the background that he comes from. The only thing that was pretty impressive with this guy, uh, Moises, is he is the only person to take... Um, he went four and a half rounds with Islam before Islam beat him. Um, uh, I think he subbed him. Um, but apart from Volk, he's the only person... To take go that to take Islam into that level of deep water. So, on, on the face of it, pretty tough guy. Um, round one, both coming out throwing leg kicks. To say the crowd is absolutely buzzing at this fight. Um, Sandinese chasing him around the cage, throwing bombs, leg kicks, really throwing down. Uh, Benoit Sandinese takes him down and some ground and pound. Um, Moises is a high level black belt and tried for a knee bar. Uh, and then kind of for a minute, you thought, shit, this, he could be in a bit of trouble here. But uh, Sandini had got apparently a really high level judoka in his training camp to, to prepare for the submissions. And this uh, reversed the position, started throwing some absolute savage elbows and really bloodies him up. Easy 10 9 round. Um, round two. Um, Sandini again, total control, takes him down uh, for Moise, uh, Moises. Uh, Sandini gets straight back up. Uh, by this point, uh, Moises is absolutely covered in blood and his legs are getting smashed. He's got massive whelp on his legs. Uh, he gets caught against the fence and then bang, Benoit Sandini just starts piling it on in a Garnet-esque fashion. Referee steps in for a TKO, but he... Uh, I think he's getting on a bit. I don't think time is on his side, Sandini, uh, but looked a real prospect. Very, very impressive all-round game from him. Um, quite uh, un- Even unknown for me, to be honest with you. I hadn't really seen much of him before that, but certainly looks like he- he's ready for a, a bump-up in-, in competition. And I can't see any way that he doesn't hit the top 15 rankings after that win. These types of cards as well. I, I mean, I know I'm biased on this, and it's not as though they're the best or the greatest fighters on the roster and they're not exactly, you know, card stealers. They're not going to draw in loads of traffic from the more casual fans, should we say. Um, But when it comes to having the chance, and it doesn't happen very often for us, does it? But having the chance to watch a card at an acceptable time, we don't have to stay up till one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning or sometimes as we get with uh, this weekend coming up, three o'clock in the morning to see the main event and the fights that we want. Even if they're not necessarily the highest of quality, it still is something that makes me sit down, get a pint, relax, have a cracking afternoon and then cracking evening. And then, you know, you go home happy, even if you're already at home. But 
I feel like they should do it more. And I, I get that they are trying to do it more. And they're, you know, you do your Parises, you do your Londons, but I just still don't think there's quite enough for us. Because the, the, the fan base in the UK is it's got to be one of the biggest. I mean, it is, but just to challenge you on that point, I think they usually say also a lot of it comes from um, we're quite fortunate in the UK that we get these on, unless it's a really big card, you know, with a Connor or someone English, we usually get them on uh, what formerly BT Sports, TNT Sports now uh, for free, whereas most American number cards are pay-per-view. So they always cater for the the American audience time-wise where they can. And I'm sure a stat I saw at some point in, in the past, not that long ago, but not equally particularly closely, is around about 80% of the pay-per-views come from America. So from a business perspective, you can kind of understand why they might put these cards on at times that are shit for us, but cater to the American audience. Because one, they're paying two the majority of people who are going to pay are in America. So I kind of, I agree with you. And obviously I wish they were more like that. And it's a great Saturday night. If you're not doing anything, as you say, sitting in with a few beers, watching people beat the shit out of each other. But um, that, that, you know, from the business perspective, um, I totally get it. It's a strange one, isn't it? When you think about it that way, because you would think, and I know, again, we talk about these, on a weekly basis so we have a little bit more bias on it but you would think that boxing and ufc or mma is closely aligned on that but are there all the big fights american time-based in boxing because i know that obviously quite a few you've got you know crawford and spence jr and there are other ones like that but as time is going further on you're getting more in saudi arabia for example you've got nganu and, and fury which i know no one cares about that much but other than I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Fury and Wilder, Crawford, Spence Jr. Um, there were another one that were this year as well. Uh, I mean, I think times are changing year. with boxing, I, I would say. I mean, I remember uh, going live. I was fortunate enough to go to Kawasaki Kessler 1 uh, in Cardiff, 2008 or so, back when Kawasaki was the man. And um, because that was such a big fight at the time and for the American audience, that actually was in the UK, but was two o'clock in the morning. So, right. uh, yeah, and we were out, was out, out in Cardiff, full session out, you know, and then get into the arena for like 11, 12 o'clock to see some of the undercard. So uh, it hasn't always been that way. But, yeah, I certainly agree. There seems to have been a bit more of a change now that, they are in more locations where their time difference is a little bit better boxing wise for us than the UFC. And they don't seem to maybe pander to the American audience as much. And of course, a lot of that is if you think about some of the top, you know, two of the top four heavyweights, if you looked at it on that in terms of boxing are English, aren't they? So they want it to be English times because they want English people to watch it. So um, it makes, again, a bit more logical sense why that's the case. And again, Saudi Arabia is quite a good venue for us because I think despite the distance, it's only something like a couple of hours ahead. So whenever yeah, the fights yeah. are there, um, they're pretty reasonable times to watch as well. Well, I think the um, Anthony Joshua and Ruiz Jr. too was, I can't remember what they called it, it was something really strange, like rumble in the sands. Um, and that were a really acceptable time for us as well. I think it went till maybe 11, pushing on 12, so a little bit later maybe, but 
still fine for us. Anyway, enough about business. It's nothing to do with us, and we can't change that. Let's talk about UFC 293. So, yeah, next, obviously, next numbered card. Um, disappointing, if I'm honest, I'd say, as a numbered card goes in terms of fights. I've only got two I'm really going to break down. Uh, I think it's worth discussing. Um, maybe being a little bit harsh here, but we've obviously got Return of Izzy. So, uh, Adesanya coming back for the middleweight title, uh, 24-2, and two, and obviously the champ uh, facing what feels like a very undeserving challenger in Sean Strickland. Uh, currently ranked number five, so he's not particularly low in... Um, in 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 the rankings with a record of twenty seven and five, but probably more known, particularly over the last month or so, for some of the absolute crazy shit that he's been saying about women shouldn't vote. I think I showed you that video today, didn't I? Where he was talking about how parents should beat their kids more, and he actually said something along the line. I think paraphrasing, but not a million miles off. I'm not talking about slaps. I'm talking about full alcoholic rage beatings. That's what my dad gave me. And the he told somebody... Is, I was going to say, he tell the story about his dad. Tell it. He gave some ridiculous story, didn't he, about how, um, in his own words, these days people are snowflakes talking about suicide and, and the easy way out. And the, uh, did he say he was like seven and his yeah. dad had a, result, a revolver and was kind of debating whether or not to shoot himself. And he was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And he claims that he basically held the gun to his dad's head and said, do it, which just, as you say, I can't quite fathom with Strickland if he's taking the Colby Covington approach of just playing an absolute knob and a heel for the attention and to blow his profile up. But Covington is quite clearly a, wrestling-esque character that he puts on and he's apparently very very different in real life Strickland I actually do believe it's like 50-50 that he maybe exaggerates some of these opinions but he is actually that mental that some of the things he says like that he genuinely believes as well yeah I mean some of the things I've never seen the video that you showed me um earlier on it's just ludicrous now or looking up before we would um come online to do this podcast and there were things of like where he'd found his dad's porn tapes in his old VCR and started walk, uh, watching them. He would hit his uh, dad over the head with his guitar. He obviously encouraged him to kill himself. He, he got the gun, didn't he, put it in his hand and said, squeeze the trigger, you should kill yourself, you're a deadbeat, you're a druggie, your wife's left you. And then he, he said something in the video about he used to draw swastikas on his arm in um, primary school and he used to dream of becoming... Uh, the skinhead from that Edward Norton played in American History X. I was just like, what, what on earth is this guy talking about? What a fantastic about? role model for trying to attract <laughs> people to a sport that people think is barbaric enough. And then we've got a guy talking about how when he was a youngster, he aspired to be a neo-Nazi. Yeah, it doesn't really paint the UFC or MMA in general in a particularly good light. And it's actually probably doesn't realize it but pretty damaging uh really when you get nonsense like that you know the mainstream press get a hold of that and then start say making out that all ufc and mma fighters are these lunatic skinhead skinhead savages that do that shit so um i don't like him i think he's a prick um i think it's a walkover for, for izzy if i'm honest i think 
Izzy is the you know the, the consummate counter striker. Strickland walks forward. He's very brave. He's got a good chin, but he's like the ideal opponent for someone like Adesanya just to smash. So um, depending on how much punishment um, Strickland can take, um, it's it's a KO for me in round one. Round two, if he's lucky, I can't see it going any other way than that. I mean, you you watch the uh, loss Strickland's loss in twenty twenty two, so last year against Pereira, and it's exactly the same. It was almost impressive of how he does this thing where he always walks forward and he's always um, famed himself on walking forward against anyone. So he goes and walks down an elite kickboxer in Pereira and then you'd expect, well, this guy's going to get knocked out. And lo and behold, he got knocked out. <laughs> so... I mean, it's just a mad, like, where is his coaching? Like, don't, don't, do not walk down one of the pound, best pound for pound kickboxers in the whole world, a double glory title holder. Like, that's just insane. No game plan. No one's that hard. Uh, that was just ridiculous. And I think it goes very, very much the same way. Uh, an interesting little point I thought uh, uh, that kind of, kind of comes in on this one is obviously after Duplessis's very uh, impressive victory a um, couple of events ago against Whitaker, he obviously looked like uh, the next obvious title t- uh, fight after this. And there's that, you know, Af- we've talked about it on a previous Africa, sort of African champion kind of, banter beef between the two of them but I saw Dana had poured a bit of cold water and passed some uh passed some or cast some doubt uh on him being the next challenger and actually said that the, that the more likely next challenger for the belt if Izzy does win is the victor of the UFC 294 main event of Kamaev Paolo Costa so um so that that uh that that fight in um, in a few weeks has uh, obviously the, a bigger implication. And I get the feeling that if one of them comes out and does something particularly spectacular, such as a Kamayev crushing, which is likely what's to ha- what happened in, in my opinion, I think he vaults himself over to Plessis and uh, in with Alessandra. And then you've got the complete polar opposites of styles. You know, one of the most elite strikers in the world against one of the absolute monsters of grappling. So, um, it would be interesting that you know that question of can can Kamayev take a punch from Izzy in the kicks? Can Izzy stop Kamayev taking him down? I think in terms of how I think this is going to go, I'll agree with you on the victory or the victor. I'll agree with you on the method. I think it goes on a little bit longer. I don't think he's quite got. I mean, we know that he hasn't got, despite what happened in his last fight, the same knockout potential and knockout power as Pereira. So I don't think that it will be as quick as the prayer fight. I'm going to go out of Sanya knockout third round, probably. Um, out of curiosity, did you see who the backup fighter is for this? Uh, I did, but it is uh, Cannoneer. It is indeed. It is. Yeah, he um, yeah, I... beat Strickland in December, didn't he? Yeah, and again, when they have a big event like this, it's always sensible to, again, from a business point of view, one of them gets injured late on, misses weight, something like that. But yeah, no, I did notice that. And uh, yeah, obviously, um, Cannoneer has beaten Strickland, but lost to Alessandra. So in, fingers crossed, again, we always want to watch Izzy fight. He's a great, uh, one of my favourite fighters and one of the stars of the UFC. So we hope nothing happens that triggers Cannoneer walking in instead of one of the other two, really. Yeah. Um, 
co-main event at heavyweight is uh, another Australian hero, Ty uh, Tuavasa, uh, ranked number six in the division with a record of 15 and five. This is the guy I told you about before who does the shoey after he wins, where he goes and gets a fucking shoe off someone in the Dirty crowd and downs crowd. a pint. It's disgraceful. Like, what the fuck? Uh, fighting Volkov, who is number eight. Uh, didn't realize that quite the extent of the number of fights Volkov's had. 36 and 10 is, is his victory. Um, Ty is always fun to watch, but tends to fall to the elite of the division. Um, I've got this one down personally as a 50-50 fight. Uh, it's either going to be a brutal KO from Ty Vassa or it's going to be a submission from Volkov. And I couldn't, I, I'm literally split 50-50 on which of those two outcomes is likely to happen. It's a fight that's completely down to range for me. I think that if Volkov keeps Tuvasa away from him, obviously, is it like 80-inch reach, something ridiculous? Uh, he'll pick Tuvasa apart and... I think he'll end up sparking him. Um, I think if Tuovasa can obviously force his way in and close the distance, um, put him against the cage, for example, I think his punch power will take him out. I don't think this fight goes on for very long, I'll be honest. I think you're looking at maybe two rounds as a maximum. Both men have impressive durability, but both men also have impressive power. I think Tuovasa has the superior power, just, only, only just, but I think he does. And He's obviously been knocked out in back-to-back fights now. He needs to win this. So I think the pressure is significantly on him. And I think that pressure won't tell. I think it'll pay off for him. And if I have to put my money on it, I would actually go against the odds and I'm going to go to Vassa. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have the hometown home crowd, obviously, coming out to, uh, you know, again, Australia is quite a, a racist crowd, you know, get behind their fighters. Um you know, he is obviously actually Australian, whereas Adesanya, whilst he gets a lot of support from over there, fights out of technically New Zealand, sort of by way of Nigeria. Um, so he will definitely probably get the biggest cheer of the night in terms of a home fighter. And uh, as we saw with someone like Garne, that's, uh, you know, you, you often talk about it in football terms. It's like the 11th, the 12th man in it, the crowd behind you giving you that extra uh, sort of boost. So uh, I would tend to agree with you. But as you say, um, edging towards that. But yeah, I, I see a Thai KO or a sub from Volkov. And and, and Thai doesn't have the best ground game or uh, takedown defence. So if he does get taken down, I wouldn't disagree at all with what you said about the range, fight, the range being the, the key point. Can he keep him away? And can he unload those bombs on him? But... Not really any of the rest of the card. I'll be perfectly honest. I think it's worth discussing in detail, given some of the other things we've got to, to discuss, I would say. Before we move on, pull the splinters out of your ass, get off that fence, give me a prediction. Tyco. Ah, he's going with me because he knows that I've become the prediction king after the last few weeks. I, I appreciate it. I, I get it. 30 wrong in a row, gets two or three <laughs> right and suddenly calls himself the king. But um... It's new season, new start. Uh, PFL um, seems to be, if you believe the rumours, closing on a purchase of Bellator for about $500 million. Um, Insane mental. amount of money for what is by far and away the fourth kind of th- fourth ranked probably into UFC, probably one, 
then PFL, then Bellator, how the fuck they're going to get. I mean, Bellator, fair play to whoever owns Bellator. If they can get 500 million, um, I saw Dana laughing and it saying, yeah, sounds like a great bit of business. Go for it. Sign them, sign them up. Um, Do you see what he said? Oh. See what the actual quote, the first thing that he said when he was first told? Go on. He turned around and said, why on God's green fucking earth would anyone buy Bellator? <laughs> which, which is kind of true. I mean, I think that the view being obviously how big the UFC is in America, that the, the combining could pose the biggest threat to the UFC. But that is so naive. UFC is so far ahead in MMA terms than anyone else that for me, even if they combine the three of them and, you know, suddenly one came in as part of that, they're still not going to get anywhere near the UFC. The UFC, uh, you know, the Barcelona and Real Madrid combined of MMA. You know, there's not a chance that any promotion in any time soon is getting anywhere near the viewership and uh, the numbers of pay-per-views, et cetera, that they do. But fair play to the owners of Bellator and fuck knows where the PFL are getting £500 million from to to buy them. Uh, it, it, it's, it creates more questions than it answers for me uh, in a lot of ways, but it will be interesting. It is still rumoured. There's no firm uh, commitments on that as yet. The only thing that I would find interesting, I suppose, if it's to be believed that it's the PFL are buying Bellator, does that mean then the Bellator fighters have to get folded into the league format that the pfl take in which is you know a very different approach than the ufc where they have this kind of league uh that they've tried to do but that does create that that's that be the main question for me do they drop the league and just go back to more fights like the ufc and one do or do they maintain their differential which is kind of a league that then has semi-finals and you know final etc so um Interesting one to keep an eye on and we'll keep people updated as that progresses. I feel like it's got to be one or the other. I feel like they either have to stick with the league, which, as you say, it's the differential. It's something that makes them stand out a little bit. So I would expect that they'll keep with that or they have to scrap it entirely and and go back to the sort of usual format. I don't think it's particularly a, a good idea to have essentially two companies under one ownership. I think it just needs to be folded in. I would put all the... Uh, the roster of fighters on the PFL. I would head it up as the PFL, of course. And with regards to the where they're getting the money, five hundred million is dollars is is absolutely ridiculous, and I can't answer for that. But there was that, that hundred million dollar investment from Saudi Arabia. Um, and to be honest, PFL, I don't think really is starting to turn a profit at any point in the the recent months. They need to start doing that and. I don't think Dana White is going to be having any sleepless nights for a significant amount of time. And your comparison to Barcelona and Real Madrid is spot on, to be honest. I would compare it more, and you're going to love this analogy, I'm sure, to them being, so the UFC is the WWE of MMA. And I think you've got your other companies, you know, your, your WCW, if you remember that, when Rick Does Flair that even exist over. anymore? Does that no, even exist? exactly. But that's the exact point. So those companies tried and those companies failed. I think there's a, a re- I say I think, of course I know, there's a wrestling company at the moment called AEW who are doing it exactly the same. And it's owned by uh, Tony Khan, who is... Um, owns co-owns Fulham. Fulham, yeah. And he owns the... Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars. Correct. See, so you're clearly a massive wrestling fan as well. Um, 
I'd say more American. Well, she knows I'm more about American football than probably wrestling, but uh, yeah. But the point um, would be, no one is ever going to get to the level of WWE. It doesn't matter how much investment. It doesn't matter how many fighters, quote unquote, or wrestlers they get over. In the same way that, in all honesty, I would put everything that I own and everything that I will ever own that no one will ever go above the UFC. Totally agree, hundred percent. Don't ever see uh, it. If I say to you, baller, shot caller, give me Cheeto, you are welcome. Who am I quoting? Uh, my man, our man Sugar, Sean O'Malley. Um, I mean, come out with some of the most Connor-esque bullshit I've heard in a long time about this one. So, um, firstly, obviously, he's only recently been crowned the Bantamweight champ. We know and we've discussed before that Dash Philly is clearly the number one contender with the way his performance is. I told you last week how Dana had come out and absolutely rinsed his attitude towards that he wouldn't fight Aldo and that Dana is the type of guy that holds a grudge and would, would punish someone for that. But uh, Sugar has called out v- uh, Cheeto Vera for his first defence and it looks like the, the wheels are in motion for that to happen. It's the only man to ever beat him. He likes to try and claim, I've heard it on a number of occasions, that I'm still unbeaten and I didn't lose that fight. And I saw the best quote of, you just gave a good quote there from from Dana. The quote that uh, uh, Sugar gave is, I've been playing chess with Cheeto for a long time. I lost that first fight on purpose to set this up that when I was the champ, I'd get him and I'd get an easy fight. Of course you did, Sean. Of course I, you I did. I believe him. I think he is. He's always done it. He's just that clever. Mr. Ford, clever. 4D chess while the rest of us <laughs> are fucking just watching fights. But um, yeah, they haven't announced it. It's likely that could definitely be the end of the year card. They again tend to go big towards uh, a new year, sort of end of the year, or whether they save that. We've talked about it again. I feel like the board, probably people are bored of saying it, uh, UFC 300. But um that one seems to be in the works. But yeah, one of the best excuses for a loss I've ever heard is, yeah, yeah I deliberately lost to set up the rematch. Yeah, yeah, of course you did, Sunshine. <laughs> I think it's set up perfectly for him to fight at 296 uh, against Cheeto Vera. It's Las Vegas and it's December 16th. It's the same apparent card that McGregor and Chandler are going to fight at. So that's your, your main event and your co-main event. And then that gives you your time to... You know, because I think he wins. I'll be honest. I think he walks through Chio Vera, and I think that then gives you time to recoup, get him on UFC 300 against Dash Villa. I think, man, I mean, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a fight earlier. I could see it be the co main event of 295 with Jones because uh, Sugar said, I'm still training, I'm in camp, I'm ready to go. Cheeto is again one of those guys, very, very dedicated, always in training, always hungry to fight. and Clearly, having holding a victory over him already will probably fancy his chances in doing it again. So, um, but yeah, I, I would two nine five or two nine six would not surprise me at all if it's on the co uh, to as you say either Jones or potentially Chandler Connor if that's uh, going to be confirmed at two nine six. That is, of course, unless Victor Belfort kills him first. Have you seen what he has said in the press about this? I have not. So. Uh... <laughs> He's done an interview, as you've heard, um, Sugar Sean does a lot of interviews. Clearly, he likes the the sound of his own voice and sells cards by doing so. Um, And I quote, 
He said, I'll say it so people can clip this too. Uh, I said, I can cheat on my wife because I'm the king and I pay for everything. You see that going viral as fuck? It's fire. Now, obviously, we spoke about that on a previous podcast. Uh, Victor Belfort messaged me shortly after. He said he wants to kick my ass. Victor's going to fucking beat my ass now. But relationships are relationships. They work or they don't. We've been married for, what, eight years and some shit, doing good. It's crazy how people just, it's like, you get married, you fucking have a girlfriend, and you live this one way. But yeah, uh, Victor Belfort just sat there at home, not really doing much other than... Not a clever fight to clip though now, given that he's <laughs> out of the testing pool. Rory did TRT Victor was one of the scariest human beings I've ever seen fight. Uh, and uh, a ridiculous weight difference between the two. So if there was a genuine fight between those two, my money would be on Victor every day just because of the pure size difference. So not a clever... not a. Cl- uh, I mean, that's like I know, Connor calling out John Jones, you know, not a clever uh, argument size-wise in terms of um, weight and size, but I hadn't seen that, uh, but... That's how he's got to where he is, uh, sugar, talking shit, saying saying stuff to sell the cards. And as I say, in, in my view, after Connor and um, John Jones, he is probably the, the third biggest star in the UFC now. Well, I mean, he's beaten Evander Holyfield, so if it's a Belfort, he, uh, he can beat anyone, can't he, at this start, so... On roids, yeah, it can beat the fuck out. Right? I mean, ask Michael Bisping and his fucking lost eye uh, from Victor. So uh, he took his eye out with a get with a, with a, uh, a fucking kick. So not a man to be trifled with, particularly if he's on steroids. So uh, Do you know not that a... last year he was supposed to be on um, your favourite Misfits card. Who Victor or Bisping? Victor Belfort. Yeah, he was supposed to be fighting uh, Raman Junior. I think it was back in. It's probably about a year ago now, but he. Uh, had to withdraw because he tested positive for COVID nineteen, and then they've never seen him on one again. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's old. He's making his money, he's doing what he's doing. Um, but yeah, he would be sc- a scary proposition with no drug testing for anyone. Because again, incredibly high level black belt, incredible striker. Even at his age, I wouldn't want to fucking be calling him out. I've got your notes here for football and. The first note that you've made, and I'm sure you've made it by smiling your head off, you grin from ear to ear, Chelsea lose to Forest, another nightmare from Caicedo. Shit made the right decision, didn't he? <laughs> Fucking what a horrendous start to his career. I mean, the two of them. So you've got Caicedo gives the ball away for the goal. Forest lose at home. Sorry, Chelsea lose at home to Forest. Potch having a shocker. You've then got the rumours coming out of Lavia. I don't know if you saw this. I think I mentioned this to you. That it kept, who hasn't even made the bench yet for Chelsea, by the way, in any game. That the rumours are he actually wanted to join Liverpool. But he's 19. He's obviously an impressionable young man. And his agents convinced him that the money and the duration of the contract at Chelsea was better. Well, that's turned out to be a fantastic decision, hasn't it? From being potentially a starter and your main defensive mid in a title-challenging team to not even making the bench of a team that lose at home to Forest. So I'm smiling on absolutely both accounts, and fuck them both. You've got to let this thing with Caicedo go. You make it seem like he's wronged you and wronged everything about you. But I also did have a look as well, once you mentioned this Lavia thing. I can't say anything about the agents. I'm sure you've read it on like 
back of the cop or whatever nonsense Liverpool site it was. But he's not match fit. That's why he's not been playing. But, well, maybe, maybe not. Why is he not match fit? Why is he not? What, is he not in training? Well, he is in training, but he's going to be fully match fit, they believe, uh, after the international break. So uh, he's not gone away with Belgium because apparently there's an agreement between Chelsea and and Belgium that he isn't allowed to go away for international duty until he's he's back to full match fitness. The likelihood is that he will replace your favourite midfielder, Conor Gallagher, in their next game. We'll see, won't we? Time will tell. But um, Spurs Spurs looking good. Yeah, blown, blown, blown Burnley away. Burnley struggling at the moment without a point. Um, and you've got to say it as much as um, Spurs are looking incredibly unspursy uh, at the moment. <laughs> uh, Ange's got a kind of a feel-good factor going. It seems he's maybe cre- recreated some something a bit like Poch had there, where players seem to be playing with a smile on their face. They're playing a bit more attacking football. Crowd are getting behind them. Uh, and given they lost their best player, captain and record goal scorer, um, they're doing a pretty good job, I would say. Uh, and again, I, I, I'll be the first to say that I was not blown away by the decision for Ange. I didn't think he was a particularly good appointment. He felt a bit desperate. that They couldn't get anyone else given his career and that he hadn't really managed particularly high level teams before. But hats off to him so far. He's doing a pretty good job. I overlooked them stupidly in my prediction in the episode that we did at the start of the season a couple of weeks back. I said it last year about Deserby, and I said that he would be outstanding for, for Brighton. And I'm saying it this year, Ange will be outstanding for Spurs and he'll be one of the standout managers of the season. And he'll win one or two uh, managers of the the month awards. Not that anyone really wants those because they're a massive curse these days. But I am going to back and I'm going to change my prediction them to finish top four. Time will tell. The Spurs, the Spursiness will come out eventually. You can't get rid of that overnight, and one manager doesn't make you unspursy. So uh, I, I I still feel that four games you you you're taking a very small sample size to change your prediction there, but. Um, impressive That's, start to the season. You can't can't argue with that, and I'm sure most uh, Spurs fans will be delighted. That's not the main reason. It, I have to be. I'm pretending that I'm I'm being quite coy about this, but I I remember having this conversation where you're saying I thought Ange was a good appointment for them, and you said no, nah, I'm not a massive fan of that. I've completely overlooked them in my predictions, and I don't know why. I I would have, or should have. And I have always been saying that they will do this well this season because of the manager that they brought in. And I'm still backing that. So it's not necessarily just for those four games, just to clarify. But I think they will finish top four. So I'm taking Aston Villa out of my top four prediction and putting these back in. <laughs> I feel the only thing I would say is they didn't actually replace Kane in the end, did they? They seem to be playing Sun no. up there. I feel that if they'd really gone out and got a, a 40, 50 million pound goal striker, that guy, Gift or Ban, that we talked about that looked very good. I, I, I perhaps could agree with you a bit more, but I feel that they're a bit lightweight up front. Uh, they've got a bit of squad depth, but if Son suddenly got injured, I mean, I appreciate they've got Richarlison, but he's not going to get you 25 goals a season. Um, I feel they're a little bit light up front. Um, so I, 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 th- I think they'll certainly do better. I could see him being top six or seven, undoubtedly, but I don't think they'll make the top four. They'll finish above you. 
Not a chance. <laughs> we'll come on to Liverpool shortly, but uh, I'm sure hat trick from the Terminator against Fulham. Did you see? So he becomes the fastest player to 50 goal contributions in Premier League history. 50 goals uh, in terms of goals and assists in 38 games. Insane. We've got to talk about him then in the the wider context because he has been in the press quite a lot this week, not necessarily because of the hat-trick, which was obviously very impressive. It's getting boring, though. He's just too good for football, it appears. Um, <laughs> it's just one of these players that you're like, oh, he's got an hat-trick. Oh, that's a surprise. Surprise, yeah. Um, his, is he your Ballon d'Or 2023 winner? No, I think you've got to give it to Messi just because of his World Cup. I feel like, again, he deserves it for... It's going to be it's his final swung song. I know he's gone to Miami, uh, America, where he is absolutely tearing it up, but that's not a surprise. But I feel purely for the fact that everybody else, um, you know, it's probably more of a heartstrings decision, heart overhead. But if it was on stats and performance of the season, yeah, it probably should be Haaland, to be fair. But I get the feeling it, there's that little emotive tie the World Cup, Messi, player of the tournament, finally winning the only trophies, eluded him as a player. I, I, I can't see anyone but Messi winning it myself. Do you not think that's bullshit? I agree with what you're saying, and I think Messi will win it, but do you not think it's bullshit that essentially he's going to win it on the back of he's won an award with his team? Kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of. And, and you know, it could be a surprise. We could be, ultimately, it's, it's, it's uh, the journalists in it that... Um, vote for the Ballon d'Or so um, you know it could be wrong and they could be a bit more uh, emotionless than than we're talking about and say fuck that he didn't have half as good a season as Haaland but Haaland surely will finish second if Messi does win it I would say I think that's be, undoubtable. It's something that I'm more interested in terms of the Ballon d'Or because I, I agree and, and just to clarify I think Messi will win it this season because that's how it'll go and there's a certain funny nature about the fact that if Messi does win it it's going to come in a year that, or for the first time in God knows how many years, Ronaldo hasn't even reached the shortlist. Um, so, there's a shame. Levels. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I'm more interested into what happens next year because Messi won't win it next year. He can't win it while playing for Inter Miami. Uh, regardless of what happens internationally, there isn't any tournaments for him to win anywhere next year. But it's more interesting to me to see whether Haaland is going to be one that takes it, whether Mbappe is going to be one it's that one takes of those it. two in it. 100%, yeah. one of them two. The one I've got to go, I'm surprised you haven't had a little fucking dig already about this, but obviously when they do the Ballon d'Or, they do the Yashin Award. Did you see they didn't even, my man, the best goalkeeper in the world, Alisson, didn't even make the shortlist. You've got oh, like, jo- Jordan Pickford made the fucking shortlist. Like Alisson, did, like, it's outrageous. The fact that when I looked at the list, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? To not have him even in the list. It, it, it blew my mind. So, you know who's going to win it, don't you? Go on. It's going to be Martinez, which I don't agree with either. Um, no chance in the world. But because he has obviously won the Golden Glove Trophy at the World Cup, because he's won the World Cup, that will be how it goes. And that's where I think these awards are just complete and utter nonsense, to be honest. It's not to do with individual ability. You can't tell me, even as even if you... I know you disagree and with my Liverpool bias, but you can't tell me 
Alison Becker isn't in the top 10 goalkeepers to be listed in the world, particularly when he had an outstanding performance and was our player of the season last year and the, the amount he saved her. It's, it's just ridiculous that he's not even on the list. Ridiculous. No, of course it is. And as funny as it is to wind you up about it, he's clearly, at the very least, top three in the world. And obviously there are arguments about that. But if he isn't top one, he's got to be top. He can't not be top 10. Um, yeah, I still think... as you say, top three. And anyone, anyone with any sense who knows anything about football could not put him outside the top three. Uh, Mike Mannion, maybe, to win it this year at AC? Is there any other one? Yeah, he's he's in the list. Um, I mean, Edison. Edison's in the list. Edison didn't even play for Brazil in the World Cup because Alisson's ahead of him. Like, all right, he played in the title-winning team for Man City, but like, what? Like, it's again, it's just, it's just ridiculous. But what did Allison um, win last year, though? Um, what you're holding up there a zero? It's a zero. Won nothing, did it? Whereas Edison won what three trophies? So that's what, what it's did, based on. What did Mike McGann win? Nothing. Didn't win anything uh, with France. Didn't win anything with uh, AC Milan. Yeah, but he got further in uh, Champions League, didn't they? All oh, right, okay, so that that's uh, that makes him a better <laughs> goalkeeper, does it? But uh, moving on to Liverpool, um, good performance at the weekend. Obviously, again, we're both Villa haven't quite performed as we we thought they both might be the dark horses and the new Brighton of this year. They've had a couple of spankings, one from us, from one from Newcastle. My boy Nunes looked good again. Um, did have five pretty good chances to be fair in the game hit the woodwork twice one that resulted in a hilarious own goal by Matty Cash where it came off the post hit Cash as he was running back but uh we looked really good uh thing for me was Mo 100% committed as I've said to you all along you keep saying it today is the deadline obviously I don't know what time officially it finishes the Saudi window but um I've got no concerns about a sale and Slobazai came out after the match and said he has told the team he's staying. So no doubt uh, he will be with us for the rest of the season. I think next summer he is definitely gone. Um, but we will still probably rake in over 100 mil for him, which for a 32-year-old, what will be by then, will be pretty good business. I think it'll be less than 100 mil because he'll only have one year on his his, his deal. I think I'll, uh, it's Ali Etihad, isn't it, that have been putting these silly bids in. They've clearly messed this up because if they would have offered this to Liverpool a couple of weeks ago, Liverpool would have accepted for me. I don't think there's a, a shadow of a doubt about it. It gives you a week to replace him and they're paying nearly the same amount that FSG spent on getting a, a wedge of the club. So it, for me, I think the, the owners would just overrule Klopp, even if Klopp wanted to keep him. And they would say, look, on your bike, Salah, we're taking this money. And we've already discussed in detail about potential replacements. We've talked about Cravadonna. You thought Matoma would be quite good. You raised Saka would be a, a very, very good uh, He's been linked this week. Clock came out uh, allegedly and said that if he did go for that kind of money, that's who he would be looking to spend potentially, you know, up to 150 mil in, uh, in January on if it did go through. Can't see. I'm one, leaving his boyhood club. Uh, and two, potentially a team higher in the league for us. But I'd take him if we had to do sell him. That, that would be one of the, any of them three, if we do have to sell him, would be adequate or a, a, as good a replacement as we could get. If I had, if I had my choice, I would get to, I would go for Cravadonna personally. Out of curiosity, how do you reckon your friend Grant would react if you took Saka off Arsenal? Seething. 
Cedar. <laughs> he would be as indignant that it's going to happen as I am about uh, Salah being sold this summer, I would have thought. But uh, I'll ask him and I'll report back on the next uh, podcast. Um, final thing on football then. Uh, I saw a little article. I've kept this one from you. Um, I saw this is the basic salaries of the current, so just announced England squad. So uh, the, uh, the all of the squad, it gives their annual salaries and then breaks it down into their gross weekly wage. Would you like to hazard a guess at the top five? No particular uh, order. I, you can throw it out there however you want, uh, but uh, have, have a guess at who you think. Five. So I'm trying to think of like City players and players who have gone for big money. Uh, I'm going to go left field just because he's gone to Saudi Arabia this summer and will be on a lot of money. Jordan Henderson. Number two. Now, number, number two, two, number two at £350,000 a week. But ultimately, the bullshit about this, this is gross. It's tax and free. as we know, it's tax free. He is definitely number one. But officially, on terms of basic deal, he is number two at three hundred and fifty grand a week. How much is that gross if you've got the figures a year with no tax? Uh, that is. Um... Are you counting the zero? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> well, I think they must have got it wrong because I think they've got a zero in there wrong. But eighteen point two million. It says one hundred and eighty-two million, but uh, it clearly isn't. Looking at the other figures around, but it must be eighteen point two million. A year, hundred eighty-two million. Yeah, they've clearly just got a zero wrong in this report compared to the others. But uh, it surprised me that even on that, given he is number one technically speaking, because quite right as you say, it's tax-free, that he was number two because I thought he would be number one. But um, any other guesses for the top five? Uh, Big transfers this summer. Bellingham, number three. Yearly salary of seventeen point eight million three hundred and forty-two grand a week. But That's obviously that he is getting at twenty or nineteen, but they have a pretty harsh that's fifty percent tax boom in Spain, if not more. So he's getting fucked on that. But yeah, on a gross wage, three hundred and forty-two grand a week. Uh Madison. Incorrect. He is coming Aww. at number ten. 170 grand a week, Madison. Daka, because we mentioned him earlier on. Uh, number eight, 195. Oh, I'm getting closer. 195 grand a week. Declan Rice. He'll be, he's got to be in top five. Well played. Number five creeps in. Uh, you've got him there. 240 grand a week. I'm trying to think of the biggest. Come on. The biggest transfer of the summer. Yeah, it surprised me that he's the Harry highest Kane. paid. Harry Correct. Kane. 410,876 pounds a week. Give me a clue about the last one because I'm just thinking of City players. So is that... It is not a City player. It is a Man U player. It's not... Surely it's not Mason Mount. No. Nope. Christ, I'm like, I was going to say I didn't podcast here. Um, Star striker? man, really, for him. Striker. Rashford. Correct, 300 grand a week. Jesus wept. So that's the top five. Um, yeah, um, crazy. I mean, Calvin Phillips, your boy, Mr. 
plays the, the lowest minutes ever for a treble, comes in at number 12 on 150 grand a week. What a life. Um, what a life that is. 150 grand quite, a week to do nothing. Uh, out, this is out of 24. Eddie Nketiah makes it in at number 16 on 100 grand a week. Uh, the lowest is uh, Ezra or uh, Easy. Is it? I don't know. The Palace player. Ezra. grand yeah. a week. So what is, have they been called up? And Ketty's been called up? Yeah. Has he? Yeah. When? He's in the squad. Oh, that I don't like that. Why? Yeah, yeah. His first, first call up. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I don't think he deserves an England. I mean, who gives a fuck about England really anymore in these qualifiers? <laughs> and they won't like that's why we're not even going to talk about it or preview, it, are we? But I just saw that and I thought that was worth uh, a little tw- uh, a little chat just to see if you could get it. But yeah, couldn't believe the Harry Kane one. I mean, four hundred and ten again, getting a massive tax on that. But that did surprise me. Um, get, I, 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 when I first read it, I was straight away like Henderson will be number one. And he actually is technically because of the point we've said. But yeah, Harry Kane is officially number one in terms of gross wage. At least we know the price to uh, throw away your LGBTQ plus uh, views uh, is now 750,000. 700, <laughs> 700 grand a week, basically, because it's tax free. Yeah. So um, I think most people could probably compromise their morals for that. So you didn't watch UFC, or so you did watch UFC Paris, but you didn't watch Eubank Jr. versus Smith 2. Uh, what was my prediction? Just to remind me. I forgot it. Eubank Jr. I did it. KO. I did, well, I think I said TKO. Did I not? Did I, not? I, said I don't TKO. know. I can't remember. What, what did you predict? You. Did you predict I said right? Smith, by, Smith by decision. Oh, well, I mean... Nearly. We'll, I mean, if, we'll see, if you went... unlike some of us with this podcast and taking it seriously, <laughs> whereas you did no research on UFC uh, Paris, I actually watched the comprehensive highlights of this fight, <laughs> so have seen some of it. So, uh, but from the from the highlights, and again, I'll let you lead on this because you actually watched the fight. It looked just like a whitewash from Eubank Junior. Completely comprehensive. Smith appeared to offer absolutely nothing in terms of offence. The only thing that I saw was a nice couple of the the old rope-a-dope sequences, Muhammad Ali style, while Smith was on the ropes, bouncing around, dodging punches where he looked quite impressive. But bar that, from the, from the, the nine minutes or so highlights that I watched, it was completely one-sided. But it's give me your funny view how it, it works. Yeah, it's funny how it works, Ian, when you can't elbow your opponent in the face and like uh, as soon as that arsenal is taken out of um or that's taken out of uh smith's arsenal he gets absolutely spanked and he well, did quite he, did he learn that from your boy ksi did i is that that seems to be a new <laughs> it's not my new, boy a new, a new a new move creeping into boxing is it the uh <laughs> the, the the short arm elbow i still can't believe and without going back on past that that didn't get called as a non-contest. It's one of the strangest things I've ever seen. And the fact that he came out and denied it. But just to reiterate this total annihilation of Smith by Eubank Jr., uh, 193 of his 580 punches landed. For Smith, he landed 33 of his 132 punches. It quite literally was, every round was a Eubank Jr. round. Obviously, there were two 10-8 rounds where he puts him down. Um, it was just comprehensive. And this is exactly how the first fight should have gone had there been no 
the difficulties with uh, hitting people when you're not hitting them with a fist. Yeah, maybe. And, and maybe that looks in hindsight that maybe I overestimated Smith's ability uh, in that. And maybe the elbow did play more of a factor in the end result than uh, I like to admit at the time. Um, I still, as much as Eubank from the uh, highlights looked incredibly comprehensive, I still think he's a long way off title, world title sort of standard. You know, he's a, again, I've used this analogy before, like a Ricky Hatton. He'll beat the majority of people. You put him in there with someone big named uh, a fully fully elite fighter, he'll get smashed personally. But it was a very, very impressive victory from the highlights. He had to win this fight. If he hadn't won this fight, his career, to be honest, would just be about being over. There's no way to come back from two concurrent defeats by Smith, who has obviously stepped up in weight. It's funny how this works. It's funny how boxing and how combat sports work in general. When... Eubank Jr. versus Conor Ben was scheduled last year. I remember being absolutely gutted because I'd had a plan for my mates to come round. We were going to have a bit of a night about it, go into town afterwards, uh, had beers on hand, and we were all excited for Conor Ben to smash Eubank Jr. It's weird how in the past year, with everything that's happened with Conor Ben, obviously um, we know that he loves his variation of eggs, and et cetera, et cetera. I'm now excited for this fight to be made because I'm sure that's what come next. I think Eubank Jr. versus Conor Ben. I know Eddie Hearn's definitely going to push it. And I want Eubank Jr. to spark him. And it's it's just really odd. I know it's fickle. It's, it's very odd for me to say that considering how vehemently I was against him last year. But yeah, it's one of those that I'm excited for now. He's still a dick. It doesn't change. Yeah. The the impressiveness of the performance against a relatively low caliber fighter doesn't really change my view of him. And he's one that that will just make him more cockier and twattish, to be honest with you. But um, as you say, in some ways, I always wanted Ben to win, but you can, it's it's hard to root really for uh, a drug cheat at the same time. So I wouldn't say that I want, I've got to be honest, that would be a neutral fight for me. I couldn't really care who I'd watch it for sure. But I wouldn't really have a particular uh, favourite or one that I would prefer to win because I dislike Eubank and Ben went down a lot in my estimations when he was popped for uh, performance-enhancing drugs and his pathetic excuse of, I ate too many fucking omelettes. Um, <laughs> so uh, we went down that rabbit hole at the time, didn't we, about uh, clomiphene. Um, so anyone can go back to whatever episode that was if they want to hear our in-depth on that. But um, yeah, uh, impressive victory. Brian McIntyre for Coach of the Year, Big Bo Mac. Um, obviously, absolutely, or led Crawford to an absolute domination of Spence Jr., He's led Chris Eubank Jr. to turn around his career when all hope looked to potentially be lost. I don't really see there's a, a better coach in 2023 in boxing. Yeah, I mean, particularly with Crawford. I mean, get slept on, but, you know, completely underrated for what an incredible boxer he is. Can't wait to see what he does next and whether they make the Canelo fight. Uh, obviously, depends on canelo Charlo result. Uh, he has made it clear that he only really wants that fight if it will be for the undisputed and he moves up because he would then become the first boxer ever to potentially be undisputed at three weight classes, which 
straight away puts him into the category of the greatest ever. You know, I think it's hard to deny that if that happens. So there's a lot, lot to look forward to with Crawford. But I do know uh, Spence has invoked his rematch clause, hasn't he? So that looks to be the next fight on the horizon. We've got to talk about this as the, the final subject of the uh, this week's episode. And I've been trying to hold off on talking about it for a while because it's not necessarily really boxing. It's sort of the build-up to it, and we try to stick as closely as we can to the actual action. Dylan Dennis, who MMA world, or the MMA world, know quite a lot about him as, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice way of putting it. How, how would you describe Dylan Dennis here? Um, Mr. Pullout. I mean, he's pulled, <laughs> pulled out of more fights than, I don't know. Um, and out of allegedly think of an people out of... Uh, Logan Paul's fiance. Well, yeah, probably. But uh, I mean, <laughs> he's fucking useless. I mean, he's next level in jiu-jitsu. He's kind of, he's best known basically as Conor McGregor's jiu-jitsu coach. Conor McGregor's not particularly well known for his jiu-jitsu, so that doesn't exactly paint him in a particularly good light anyway. Um, but even for me watching some of this, this is trolling to the next level that I've never even seen about just absolutely destroying Logan Paul's fiance and it just constantly bashing her saying about how many dudes she's been with, how many dicks she's had, like just, just absolute next level in terms of, um, well, I say bordering on, it's got to be legally probably harassment. And on that, I see that today it broke, I think, or yesterday she's actually taken legal action against him uh taking out an injunction to stop him doing all the stuff that he's doing and wants to actually see him go to jail so now actually the the fight potentially could be in jeopardy if they go ahead with the legal proceedings which would be hilarious well i mean this is from tmz sports and Oh, Christ Almighty, there you go, TMZ, TMZ sports jesus that, that's that's nearly as reliable as fabrizio africano <laughs> Uh, as as per TMZ Sports, uh, Nina Agdal, who is Logan Paul's fiance, has filed a lawsuit and a restraining order against Dylan Dennis, uh, alleging to have uh, had more than 250 and quote unquote despicable posts made about her. Um, Agdal, who is 31, also claims in the suit that she suffered humiliation, emotional distress, and reputational harm, and believes that on August 11th, uh, 2023 post violated state and federal laws. Uh, she's requesting no less than $150,000 per violation. It's quite a lot of money. Um, and he had posted a sexually explicit picture of Agdell during, uh, again, quote unquote, romantic encounter, which she claims the photo was about a decade old. Uh, he posted it entirely uncensored, uncensored, obviously without, um, as they call it in America, the plaintiff's consent. Um, and then later in that day, he reposted the photograph in order to maximise the number of views it would receive. Now, I have seen the photograph. I won't be talking about the photograph because I don't want us to get sued. Um, it was indeed sexually explicit. So No, she didn't deny it, though, from what you just said there. Oh, she, just, she said It it's did true, happen. Yeah. It was just 10 years ago. So yeah. ultimately, you can't, I, I think... Depending on what legal claim she's going for, it doesn't sound like she said defamation, but 
obviously a defense of defamation is truth. And if she admits that happened, that would seem to quash that element of that bit. I mean, I'm sure the rest of it, as you say, particularly if she's going for 250 violations, she's got a lot of extra legs to go out in the case. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just been crazy. Um, and to me, I- I'll be honest, you, you, is this just another way, my mind, the way my mind cynical works, is this just another way, instead of Danis pulling out of the fight, is this a way for him to get pulled out of the fight so that he doesn't have to fight again? That he actually ends up, he'd rather go to jail than actually fight. Well, this is what I actually think. I think you're spot on because he's got obviously a history of pulling out six and, fights, six yeah. fights in a row he's pulled out of. That's ludicrous, isn't it? And obviously, I, I personally don't understand what he gets out of it. I don't know if he's got anything in the arrangement or the deal where he gets paid for the publicity. Not that I think if Logan Paul or his fiance want this type of publicity. But what does he realistically get out of agreeing to these fights and then looking like a knob online and then not actually going through with them? Do you want to know what he responded when he found out that the lawsuit uh, was made? Have you seen what he's posted on his Twitter? Uh, I have not. Again, quote unquote, because I'm definitely not saying this. Please don't sue the Tapping Up podcast. Uh, Nina Agdell has filed a massive lawsuit against me. She's filed a restraining order against me and is seeking prison time. So the fight is in jeopardy if I'm in jail. This is actually wild, but I won't stop. Fuck the system. Come get me. Logan Paul is a dead man walking. I'll provide more details when I can, but because it's a federal case, I can't at this time. P.S. Fuck that hoe. The clout whore sent details to TMZ exposing her true character. Nina Agdell will be called Karen Agdell till further notice. I didn't even put a ring on it. And she's already tried to fuck me for all of my money. Um, he's not a clever man. He, he's not a clever man at all. I mean, again, he's not like he's, he, again, it. Just feels that just feels like an even stronger indication that he's trying to get pulled out of the fight uh, again uh, to make it seven in a row and make, might have the best career ever of not fighting people. Yeah, um, I mean. I, I, I can't remember who it is that they've got as a backup fighter, but I'm sure whoever it is is the backup fighter is rubbing their hands together and be like, yeah, I'm fighting Logan Paul uh, at the end of this month. Um, I don't see that fight going ahead personally. Um, but uh, that's it for this week. Uh, perfect way to end it, talking about um, TMZ and pull-out game. So, Re- uh, really uh, <laughs> uh, high-level sources of uh, sort of justifiable news. TMZ. To be fair, Twitter. if you're listening to the Tapping Up podcast for any sort of news, TMZ and Twitter are probably on that same level. So Mate, we are levels above those fucking clowns <laughs> in terms of legitimacy. And if you like, I would definitely take what we say way, way before I would believe anything I read on Twitter or TMZ. As always, thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next week.